the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Many pastors view their people as unsubmissive, self willed, opinionated, determined to get their own way, ignorant of sound doctrine, and uncooperative and often carnally minded. And the fact of the matter is is that some churches are like that. Some pastors have a very accurate read on their churches. And if you say, well, how could you say that? I think the evidence is very clear if you would just attend the church's annual business meeting of most churches, and you'd see that that's very justified to think that way. In fact, also, there are so many church bodies that have originated by splitting from other churches that I think the facts would be that many church congregations are really like that, unfortunately. Now, church with a submission problem causes the pastor great grief. And we know that this was happening at that Jewish assembly of Hebrew Christians that the writer to the Hebrews is addressing. We know this because of one verse, basically one verse, although the rest of the book supports this, one verse found in Hebrews chapter 13. So I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Welcome to today's Verse by Verse, where we are exploring Hebrews 13 with our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff. Today we're going to be talking about two words. Are you ready to hear what they are? Obedience and submission. (laughs) Now, before you turn off your radio or skip over to another podcast, hear me out. If you've been following the teaching of Pastor Steve for any length of time, you know that he faithfully teaches God's Word. He doesn't add anything to what the Bible says, and he doesn't avoid uncomfortable topics. However, I've noticed this about Pastor Steve. When he comes to what some would consider an uncomfortable topic, he is very careful to fully explain what the Bible says, and I know he will do that again today. So please, put any hesitancy aside and join me for today's Verse by Verse. It is very interesting how people perceive individuals who are on a church staff. I pulled out of my file this week an item entitled, How the Church Perceives the Staff. Here's how the church perceives the pastor. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. I like this. More powerful than a locomotive. Faster than a speeding bullet. Walks on water. Did I hear an amen? Thank you. Talks to God. Now, it says the associate pastor, but let's say the youth pastor is able to leap short buildings in a single bound, is as powerful as a switch engine, is just as fast as a speeding bullet, walks on water if the sea is calm, talks with God at times. Now, music director clears a Quonset hut, 
loses race with a locomotive, can fire a speeding bullet, swims well, is occasionally addressed by God. That's how the church perceives. Now it says here bus director, but let's change it to business administrator. Runs into small buildings. Recognizes locomotives two out of three times. Used a squirt gun in college. Knows how to use the water fountain. Mumbles to himself. And the last staff person is the church secretary. Want to know how the people perceive her? Lifts buildings to walk under them. Kicks locomotives off the track. Catches speeding bullets in her teeth. Freezes water with a single glance. When God speaks, she says, may I ask who's calling? Now, that's how this item says the church perceives the staff. Now, I don't know if this is true. In fact, I have serious doubts about it because if I was faster than a speeding bullet, then I would have won the New York City Marathon. So I know that this can't all be true. But I do know that just as churches have certain views of their pastors and staff, so pastors have certain views of their congregation. And sadly enough, there are some pastors who perceive their church in a very negative way. Many pastors view their people as unsubmissive, self-willed, opinionated, determined to get their own way, ignorance of sound doctrine, and uncooperative and often carnally minded. And the fact of the matter is, is that some churches are like that. Some pastors have a very accurate read on their churches. And if you say, well, how could you say that? I think the evidence is very clear if you would just attend the church's annual business meeting of most churches and you'd see that that's very justified to think that way. In fact, also, there are so many church bodies that have originated by splitting from other churches that I think the facts would be that many church congregations are really like that, unfortunately. Now, a church with a submission problem causes the pastor great grief. And we know that this was happening at that Jewish assembly of Hebrew Christians that the writer to the Hebrews is addressing. We know this because of one verse, basically one verse, although the rest of the book supports this, one verse found in Hebrews chapter 13. So I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Just one verse we're going to look at this morning, but it's packed with a lot of information, wonderful truths for us to get hold of, something's extremely convicting, but very, very helpful for all of us, and very, very practical. And Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them. And here's some reasons. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. And we don't know much about this church, and we've said that all along. We don't know that much in terms of its location, its size, its origin, its founding fathers. We're not told. We don't even know who wrote this letter. But we do know that this congregation was spiritually weak. We know that from reading the whole letter. We know that they were wavering in their faith. Many of them were thinking of going back into Judaism. Some of them wanted to adapt a kind of Judaistic Christianity. Some of them were disloyal to Jesus Christ. They were open to heresy. How do we know that? Because verse 9 says, do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. Now, why would he say this unless they were carried away by various and strange 
teachings. We know that they had a very low view of the person and work of Jesus Christ because they were constantly trying to go back into Judaism. And the writer is saying, no, you've come out of that. And you need to know that Jesus Christ is superior to anything you ever had in your Jewish background. Now, the major cause of this problem was their lack of obedience and submission to their leaders. We know that because this verse indicates that. And nowhere in this letter, or this verse, I might add, does the writer condemn the leaders. We know that he puts the blame on the church, not the leadership of the church. He doesn't blame the leaders for the poor state of the church. He has confidence in the leaders because he tells the church that, in essence, he's saying, if you just submit and you just obey them, you'll be fine. He doesn't say, go to another church because these guys aren't good, or get yourself some other leaders because they're leading you astray. But he tells the church to come under the leader's rule. He puts the blame on the people for being disobedient and unsubmissive. And so he's telling them that if you want the problems to clear up and you want to get on with the Christian life, then you need to submit to the leadership and you won't have so many spiritual problems. And so this verse before us is basically about obedience and submission. I recognize that whenever you hear the word submission, in our day and age, it's somewhat a dirty word. It's a word that carries with it some connotations that are not very good. Uh, just think about it. What comes to your mind when you hear the term submit? Obey is okay, but submit. I'll tell you what comes to many people's minds. Blind, unthinking obedience, slavery, undiscerning subservience, kowtowing to someone, just a doormat. And many people, especially women, will think of their carnal husbands who care nothing about spirituality, but they are demanding that their wives submit to them. It's, woman, do what I say and don't give me any lip. And that's what many people think is submission. You also think when you hear the term submission, you think of something that's archaic, cultic, like this guy in Texas who just told men, I have a right to your wives, give them to me. And so these men just submit. So what the Bible teaches by submission. Now, what does the Bible teach? Well, I'm not going to say right away because we're going to let the passage teach us. We're going to look this morning at two truths about submitting to church leaders. We're not going to deal that we'll touch on wives submitting to husbands and children to parents. Although that answers into this. But this verse is about submission to church leaders. And so we want to focus on that. I'm going to look at two truths. The responsibility of submission. And secondly, the reasons for submission. Why should you submit? Why? Now, these are very practical truths and very applicable. It affects each of us greatly, and I'll tell you why. You cannot be a spiritually healthy Christian without understanding and putting this verse into practice. If you fight the leadership and authority that God puts over you in the church, then you're going to be a pretty miserable Christian. In fact, you're probably going to be jumping around to a lot of churches because no church will satisfy you. Also, this is very helpful in our lives because this explains much of why the church exists and what the leadership is supposed to do. And it also tells you what you're supposed to do as a church congregation. This is a refreshing verse because most verses in the Bible dealing with the church will tell us about what the church is or what the pastors are supposed to do, the function of leadership. But not very often do you have a verse that tells us what the church is to do. This is your response to the leadership. What the church is to do, I mean in terms of responding to leadership. So let's look at the first truth 
about submission, and that is the church has a responsibility to submit. Verse 17, the beginning of it says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Rather straightforward verse. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, earlier in this chapter, the writer told these Hebrews that they were to remember and imitate the faith of their former leaders who were now dead. He said that in verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the outcome or the result of their way of life, imitate their faith. We believe that those men had passed from the scene, that those men were probably the initiators and founders of this church. But now they're gone. And the writer had said, listen, remember them. Think about how they led you and they taught you the word of God and imitate their faith. But now, in verse 17, he's not talking about those who have led them in the past. But now he tells them how they should respond to their present leaders. And he says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Every person who is involved in a church, every Christian and a church as a whole, has the responsibility to obey and submit to the leadership of the church. Now, I really believe that before we explain what this means, you must have an understanding of what the Bible teaches about leadership, especially New Testament leadership and especially New Testament pastoral leadership. In the early church, every congregation had recognized leaders. And by the way, not just one leader, but a plurality, a multiplicity of recognized leaders. The writer, though, to the Hebrews does not give these people, these leaders, any title. He just calls them leaders. He doesn't say elders. He doesn't say pastors. He doesn't say overseers and say bishops and say deacons. He just says leaders. The Greek Old Testament, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, but it was translated into Greek. And the Greek Old Testament used this word for leaders to refer to various types of leaders. It was just a generic word for leadership that could apply to any kind of leadership deal. For example, in Deuteronomy 5.23, it's used of the heads of the Jewish tribes. They're called leaders. Then in Judges 11.11, the commander of an army is called a leader. You even have a chief priest in 2 Chronicles 19.11 being referred to as a leader. So it's a very generic word. You really can't nail it down just by the word that's used here. You have to know a little bit more about what the Bible teaches concerning leadership. One of the things that the scriptures teach about leaders is that God has established the principle that he rules this world through leaders. He established leadership and he established submission to the authority of leaders. During Old Testament times, he generally and basically ruled Israel through leaders called kings or prophets or judges, depending on the time period. He has a principle that parents are to be over their children. He has the principle that husbands are to lead their wives. Even pagan governments have been ordained by God to rule over people. Romans 13.1 says that. And even though it was a wicked government at the time, and Nero was in charge, wicked man who hated Christians, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter said, obey and submit to government leaders. It says that they've been ordained of God. Now, during this church age, Jesus Christ rules, and catch this, he rules his church through a plurality of spiritual and godly men known in the New Testament as pastors, elders, bishops. Not three different types of men, not three different offices, but one office. 
And you say, well, why do we have three names for them? Because each name gives you a little bit more about their function, about their character. But it's the same office, the same man. Let's look at this. Let's look at Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14 tells us about Paul's missionary journey with Barnabas. And it was his first missionary journey. And we see right at the beginning of the church age in the Apostle Paul's ministry that he understood that apostles would someday pass away from the scene. They were not to be permanent. There is no succession of apostles. And so there has to be ongoing leadership. And so Acts chapter 14 Verse 21 tells us about this. And after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed, watch this, elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So the apostle Paul understood that there needed to be an ongoing leadership care of these churches. His job was to lead them to Christ. His job was to strengthen them. But he knew that if they were to grow, they needed permanent leadership, and he called them elders. What does elders mean? It doesn't mean old men. It means maturity, spiritual maturity. They might be old physically. They might be younger. They might be middle-aged. But it means spiritually mature men, and that's why 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 gives about 20 qualifications for an elder. They have to meet those qualifications. They have to be spiritually mature. And notice here, as in every other place in the New Testament, it's elders or leaders. Never one man, always a shared leadership. Now, just because I'm in the pulpit every week doesn't mean that I'm the only pastor here. When I speak of the elders, I'm referring to the pastors of the church. I maybe have a higher profile than them, but I am not the lone pastor here because the New Testament does not teach that. Then let's look at Titus chapter 1. The Apostle Paul leaves Titus on an island. He goes away, and then he writes back to him and tells him some things. He says, chapter 1, verse 5, For this reason I left you in Crete, why? That you may set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So every city on that island, which there was one church per city, not like today where you have many churches, could have many churches in a city, one church per city, and Titus was to appoint elders in each church. But notice, verse 7, as he's giving the qualifications for these elders, he says, for the overseer, or if you have a King James Version, it says for the bishop. It's the same word, overseer or bishop, depending on how you translate this. For the overseer or bishop must be... Now, in Paul's mind, then you can see that he was using the term elder to be synonymous with overseer. He says ordain elders, then he says the overseer must be. So it has to be the same office. Why are they called overseers? Because this is their function. Their character is to be spiritually mature. Their function is they oversee the church. They see over the affairs of the church. It's like they're on a ladder looking over the affairs of the church. They manage the affairs of the church. They're called overseers. But then a final passage, and we could go on and on. There are many passages, but one that will help you is Acts chapter 20, verse 17. We just pulled out a few of these verses to give you a handle on it. Acts 20, verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. So Paul's on an island in the Aegean Sea called Miletus. 
He calls over to the mainland, so the church at Ephesus, and he calls the elders to come to him. So they take a boat and they go out there, and he has a whole thing to tell them. They'll never see his face again, so forth. But that's not all. Verse 28, watch this. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So we know that elders are overseers. Once again, we see this, or bishops. What are they to do? They are overseers, but they are to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The word shepherd is the word pastor. In fact, pastor is not the best translation. It's shepherd. They is to shepherd. So these men are elders because they're to be spiritually mature. They function as overseers and they function as shepherds. They pastor the flock of God. So every New Testament church had a group of men who led the congregation. But we want to think a little bit about leadership because leadership is a strange thing. It can be strangely abused. Leaders can take advantage of people, even God's people, and they can rule over them in a dictatorial way and an exploitive way. And so in preparing his disciples to be leaders, the Lord Jesus laid down guidelines for leadership that we need to be reminded of. In Luke chapter 22, our Lord spoke to them about their style of leadership. And you got to love these guys. They were just incredible. Because in verse 24, it says, And there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. These men are so human, so earthly, arguing who's the greatest. That sound pretty typical? And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. But let him who is the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines a table or the one who serves? is not the one who reclines a table. But I am among you as the one who serves. And you are those who stood by me in my trials. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table and in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. What is our Lord saying? The pagan, secular style of leadership is a no-go for Christian leaders. Instead, Christian leaders are to be servants. The pagans lord it over those who are under them, and they like to demand things, and they like being served by those beneath them. But that's not the way God's leaders are to be. They're to be humble servants. They're servant leaders. Now, Jesus went on to say, ultimately, these apostles would rule. They would have places of honor in the kingdom. They were to sit on thrones and judge the 12 tribes of Israel, but not now. Now, they're to be lowly servants, just like the master, just like Jesus. He said, I didn't come to recline and be served. I came to serve. Even washed their filthy feet, got in between those little toes and got all that out. That's disgusting. That's what a servant does. Now, the apostle Peter, who heard this, he grasped this truth. And so he wrote a verse that every pastor ought to be familiar with. In fact, every leader ought to be familiar with. First Peter chapter 5 says, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that's to be revealed. Shepherd the flock. He's telling these elders, shepherd the flock. Be good pastors. Shepherd the flock among you, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain. Don't do it for money. Don't do it to take advantage, but with eagerness. 
nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Don't be dictators, be an example. And he says in verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So we're just under shepherds below the chief shepherd. We're just stewards to take care of the flock of God. Now, in light of the type of leadership that the New Testament teaches and calls us to have, the writer to the Hebrews says that the congregation is to obey and submit to this type of humble, godly leadership. And what does that mean specifically? First of all, what does it mean to obey the elders of a church? Very simple, not difficult at all. To obey the elders of a church means that when they teach you the Word of God, you do what the Word of God says. Remember what I told you at the beginning of today's broadcast? I truly appreciate how Pastor Steve has been looking at these concepts of submission, obedience, and spiritual leadership. While obedience and submission might be difficult at times, did you notice how Pastor Steve expressed what spiritual leadership looks like? Pastors are to shepherd their flock, and that takes sacrificial love. They are to deeply love their flock and not lord their leadership over them. Then Pastor Steve gave us the illustration of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples as an example of what leadership should look like. When leadership is biblical, obedience and submission become that much easier. We have more to learn about these concepts in our next Verse by Verse broadcast, so I hope you'll be able to join us next time for Verse by Verse. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.